So last week we talked about the struggle of sin and the life of the believer and how through the work of Jesus Christ that sin has been overcome, that power has been overcome, but yet the struggle still remains. And all of us acknowledge the fact that even though we believe in what Jesus Christ did on the cross and that the Holy Spirit has called us into new life, there still exists some kind of struggle with the things within us that we know are not God. And so uh, we spoke last week where Paul was talking about not allowing that sin to control the things that we are. And I said this week we would discover what that looks like and what living in the Spirit of God looks like. So we jump into chapter 8. What we see in chapter 8 is that Paul is speaking words of comfort to the people who struggle uh, with fighting that fleshly battle with them. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, there are times when it seems everything I do, I'm failing. It seems that no matter how hard I try, no matter if I'm praying, no matter what I'm doing, uh, there's a struggle going on uh, that I just can't win. And sometimes we teach that in the church as, oh, A, you must not be saved, or, or B, you're obviously doing something wrong, or, or C, you're just not really a good person. And I think we can go ahead and acknowledge for most of us that C is probably correct 90% of the time when it comes down to it. We're probably not the best people in the world. But the reality of it is, is that salvation is not dependent on how good we are as people. It is dependent upon what Jesus Christ did. So Paul is offering these words of comfort to these people that are still struggling with the things of the flesh that tend to pull them away. And he says that you're going to have those struggles but then it's up to you to figure out how those struggles are going to play out. So what we have seen Paul talking about is the working of the Holy Spirit. We've talked several times before how as sinful beings, how from our natural sin, we cannot bring forth the things within us that are of God. Jesus said the, the best you come up with it is still not acceptable. So Paul is talking about the working of the Holy Spirit and how it is the Spirit that gives assurance to us as the children of God, no matter how furiously that sin is raging within us. That is something important that sin does not want us to hear, that Satan does not want us to hear. That it is the work of Jesus Christ, and it is the promise that comes from the Holy Spirit that assures us as children of God. Even though we might be struggling with something, even though we might have something within us that we seem to not be able to take over, when we struggle, when we fight in our pursuit of righteousness, and we struggle to put away the sin that Jesus Christ has called us to lay down, God says it is the work of the Holy Spirit that leads us to victory. We've heard the words before, the Spirit groans within us for the things that we don't understand. You ever been in a situation in life where you've tried to pray and you don't feel like you're praying really what you need to pray? Or no matter how much you pray, it doesn't seem to solve your situation. You ever tried this one? God, I'm lost for words. I don't know what to say. Paul says the good news about that, the good thing about that, is that God, the one who created you, knows what you need. Before you even pray it, God knows what you need. He said the spirit within us that comes with salvation in Jesus Christ is groaning on our behalf. It is interceding between us and the fullness of God's spirit. So that is the great thing about what Christian faith is. So chapter 6, 7, and 8 up to this point, what we're seeing is that faith 
that is living, that is real, that is true, is based first and foremost in Jesus Christ, and then secondly, that it has a purpose. Southern Bible Belt, we talk about when I was saved, and we base everything on that one moment. We think we're good for the rest of life, but what we're going to see when Paul continues to teach in this chapter is that it's not based about the doings of one single solitary moment, but it's about what Christ is continuing to do every second of every day. And the purpose of that faith is to put to death the old self and to raise us up in that new life of Christ that sounds so good. When we hear it in Sunday school, like, that's what I want, that's the goal, that's the hope that I have, is to live in that new life of Jesus Christ. And so the question that we need to start today out with is asking ourselves honestly, is the faith that we profess in Jesus Christ causing us to wrestle with sin, with things that we find in Scripture that are not who we are, giving us a desire to lay those things down and pick up the things that Christ has said? And Paul says if it is not causing us to struggle with sin or the things within us, even if we hold them as identical or identity-forming things of ourselves, if we're not struggling with laying those things down and picking up the things of Christ, Paul will question whether or not we truly have faith in the work of Jesus Christ or just the idea of a God who would take care of our problems and not give us any punishment for our failings. So that's a serious question that we have to ask ourselves as we get into the Word. Before we read the Scripture, I want you to go with me and work with our Lord and pray that God would open our eyes and our ears to hear what He has for us. Let's pray. Father God, this morning as we come to your word, God, we ask right now, above everything else in our lives, that our hearts would be focused on hearing you speak. That we would be content on hearing the words that you have for us and discovering the life that you have called us to, you have made possible, and that you fight for us to have. God, I ask that no matter where we are when we come into this building today, after we leave, we would be sent on being somewhere different because your love is good enough. It's worth it. It is worth every fight, every struggle, and every battle that we can endure in order to experience it. So God, may your spirit rest in this place now as a cloud. May it guide our hearts, our thoughts, our ears. Let us hear you speak. Let us respond to you. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, why don't you turn to me and we're going to read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. I'll be honest with y'all, we could spend a month on these 17 verses. There's so much here, but we're going to try and do it in a week or two. We're going to try. So Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we as sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead we follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. So let your sinful natures never control your minds as it leads to death. But let the Spirit control your mind and lead to life and peace. 
For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That is why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful natures. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him. And Christ lives within, lives within you so that even your body, though it may die because of sin, the Spirit will give you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give you life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit that is alive in you. So therefore, brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to If you live by it, by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you shall live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are come to be called the children of God. So you have not received the Spirit that makes you as fearful slaves, but instead you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. And now we cry out to Him, Abba, Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share His suffering. So Paul lays everything out on the line about what it means to live as a naturally sinful being, being called to new life through the presence and the power and working of Jesus Christ, but still working to overcome the struggles that our fleshly selves have. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, we see at the very beginning of the chapter, we see where it says that God sees us standing before him as fallen. That's a basic tenet of the Christian faith, isn't it? That if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, then God no longer looks at us according to the sin present in our life, the sin that we still struggle with, but instead he looks at us according to the blood of Christ, which covered those sins. Are we right? We can all agree on that one. So Paul wants to reiterate for these people. Remember, he's speaking to believers here. He's speaking to the church, to people that have professed faith in Jesus Christ, that are now trying to figure it out and work out their, their salvation. So Paul introduces a new power at work in the life of the believer. We've heard about the power of sin. We've heard about the flesh and self. Now Paul says that there is a law of the Spirit that is alive and working in the life of the believer. And unlike the death that the law of sin pointed out, remember that mirror example, where it points out the things of us that are leading to death. Paul says that this new law of the Spirit gives life, and where the law beforehand could not set us free from sin, remember the mirror doesn't make us free in the morning, it just shows how much work we need to be acceptable, right? He says, unlike the law of Moses, which cannot set you free from sin, there's this new law which was established through the work of Jesus Christ, that is able to not only free us from sin's power, but free us from death's victory. That's not our good news, doesn't it? We don't have to worry about death taking over everything. Even at the end of this mortal life, these mortal bodies, life is still possible because of Jesus Christ. That's great news. We can't, that's, that's better than a discount on auto You can't find anything better than that right there. So Paul is giving comfort to people that still struggle with sin. That Christ is still going to be victorious. Amen? That's good stuff. We, we, should, we should base our whole lives around that. That's the gospel, is it not? 
So Paul says that there is a new determination at work for the believer in deciding what our modus operandi is going to be. I want to use that word just because it sounds smart. I watched a detective movie the other night and I used it. Modus operandi, the mode from which we operate. So Paul says, as a new believer, with the law of the Spirit now available to free us from sin and death, we have to choose by which law are we going to operate. Are we going to operate from the law of sin and death that there are things from within us that transgress what God says is holy, which leads to life and will ultimately pay out death? Or are we going to decide to operate from this law of the Spirit where Jesus has conquered sin's power and death's ability to rule? So that's a big decision to make, isn't it? It's which, which car company are you going to go with? The low deductible and the fun times? A little bit higher deductible is going to cost you a little bit more. You're going to have to work a little bit more to save for that deductible. But the payout is going to be so much better. It's that law, that vehicle depreciation coverage. It might cost you a little bit more, but is it worth the struggle? So because sin is characteristic of our nature, we're naturally inclined to, to sin and things like that. We're going to automatically tend to lean towards fleshly things. Remember that I-40 merging in traffic comparison? What's our natural tendency when somebody cuts us off or doesn't let us merge? We release all the fury that nobody has ever experienced before in our eyes. We want to let them know just how bad we drive them are. That's our natural response. But then the response of the Spirit could be more like, well, maybe they're having a bad day too. Or maybe they just don't know anybody. I try to sell for that one because that gives me a little bit of solace. If they just don't know anybody, then aren't they really at fault? No. You know? Uh, I was watching a movie the other day and the guy said, it's not that you're, we say, it's not that you're intentionally being dumb, you're just stupid. I try to go over that, you know? It gives me a little bit of solace. But the thing is, is that we tend to lean towards the things that desire our initial response, our fleshly response. Tony Evans would say that it's like gravity. It automatically pulls us down. Our sinful nature automatically pulls us down. It's like vengeance is often our first thing. If somebody talking about us, first thing we want to do, we want to post it on social media. We want to set them straight. We lost so much in our ability to drive home and get on the phone. Tony Evans allowed a lot of common sense to kick in. So our fleshly initial response is to not it is to act accordingly to the law of sin and death. The law that Moses defined those things in the mirror that are not of God, that are not the image of Christ. But because of Jesus Christ, it is the law of the Spirit that can override that desire of something even as powerful as gravity on nature. That's good news. The law of Jesus Christ, the work, the example, the doings of Jesus Christ can override even our natural desire and allow us to rise from it so that sin no longer controls our actions and reactions. That's awesome, isn't it? Does that happen for everybody on a daily basis? No. Sometimes that sin wins out, doesn't it? Sometimes we just got to go eat that double quarter pound of cheese. We know it's not healthy to the bottom line. We know we're going to be paying for it later. But it just tastes so good about it. But the law of what the Spirit has come to establish in our lives is something that Paul says can get us to a point if we are willing to trust it, to believe in it, and to follow it to where it 
leads to life, where those desires are no longer there. That would be an awesome thing, wouldn't it? We no longer even have the desire to tell somebody how bad the driving skills are. Matter of fact, if anything, we hope they get a flat tire just so that we can pull over and change their tire in 102 degrees and tell them that we hope they have a good day and pay for their new tire. That happen to anybody But in order for this to happen, though, we must consciously choose to not operate according to our flesh. We have to make a choice. What kind of God does he think he is where he can't just do things for us naturally where it doesn't require work on our part? It would be so much easier. And I can't tell you how many times I prayed for God and Jesus just take the wheel. It would be nice, wouldn't it, if Jesus would take the wheel when we don't want to handle it, but if he'd give it back to us when things don't go. Sadly, that's how a lot of us live our life with Christ. It's too much for us, and we don't want to take care of it. So here, Jesus, you, you take control. I'm going to be a good Christian here. I'm going to let you take control. But the reality of it is, most of the time, we want to be the one in the driver's seat. If you pull up to the new 2024 Corvette, and you say, come on, man, you want to go for a ride? My first question to you is, can I drive? But sometimes we just need to take the ride. Because if you put me on a racetrack in a new Corvette, you'll see Matt driving about a third of the capabilities of the car. But if you put me in the passenger seat, you put the professional in the driver's seat, you're going to see what that new Corvette can do. The reality of this is sometimes we live wanting to be in the spirit, but we live according to the flesh. So Paul says in verse 4, we must consciously choose to live according to this new law of the Spirit and not allow our flesh to continue to have control over our lives. And he says that part of our walk, let me find that verse, I lost it. Anyways, so we do this as we walk with God, we walk in the Spirit. And three ways that we walk are, first off, we walk knowing our destination. You remember the movie Forrest Gump when he gets out and he goes running? And people are interviewing and asking, what, where, are you, where are you running to? Are you running for world peace? He says, no, I'm just running. And we see in the movie for about 45 minutes a waste of our time when he runs from ocean to ocean. He accomplishes nothing. He just runs. And then one day he quits and he goes home. Have you ever set out from the day from your house with no plan whatsoever? Sometimes when we do that, we accomplish what for that day? Absolutely nothing. Sometimes we live our life in Christ that way. We have no destination in mind. We have no goal in mind, so therefore we are not working towards anything. So first and foremost, we need to know our destination because walking without a destination in mind is pointless, right? Farmers don't go out in the morning and crank up their tractor with no goal in mind, do they? Because they'd be wasting money, they'd be wasting their time. So to live with the Spirit guiding us, we must point our life towards the will and the glory of God first. You're going to hear a lot of debate and a lot of argument in the life of the church about what the purpose of the believer is. Is it social justice? Is it giving to those in need? Is it helping the poor? Is it learning about how to memorize the scripture? Whatever you do, your goal must first and foremost be God's will and God's glory. Because if God's will and God's glory is not your goal, you're never going to truly help people. You're going to give them a band-aid. You might give them a, a little fix in the boo train. But you're never going to truly help in the way that the gospel gives us power to help people. If you're memorizing scripture, if you're learning the Bible, you're studying the Bible, and yet you do nothing with it, you have no end goal with it, 
You're not accomplishing anything because the world does not care how much Bible you know. If you can't show it how much it helps them and how much it can change their life, you're not accomplishing anything. We don't need you to know more. We need you to live that out. So know your goal. Know your destination. First and foremost is knowing your purpose. Then second, we need to realize our dependence. When we get, on, get up in the morning and, and we put on our shoes, what do we expect our shoes to do throughout the day? Protect our feet, right? If we're going running, we want it to give us some cushion for our knees. If we're going to work, we want it to protect our toes and step on stuff like that. So we are realizing our dependence on our shoes. When we take a step, we depend on that ground to be firm enough for us to step on it, don't we? If we're going to live this new life in Christ, then we need to walk in realizing our dependence that we depend on the Spirit of God with every step that we take. If we begin depending on something else, guess what's getting our attention? Something else. If we depend on somebody else, guess who we're going to start holding up as God? I'll tell you, nine times out of ten, when I talk to somebody who does not come to church, doesn't want anything to do with the church, it has absolutely nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do whatsoever with Jesus Christ. It has to do with the people that they experience there. Now, this isn't pointing at church people. It's not pointing to the bad thing of church people. We're all just people. None of us are perfect. But it's pointing to the fact that their faith and their understanding of God and Jesus Christ was never in Jesus Christ. But it was in the people that they thought should set a better example. Now that's where it points at us a little bit. Is what is the example that we're setting? That's an important thing. But I've never heard somebody that was in love with God, that they had a relationship with Jesus Christ, turn away from them. They've always turned away from the people that they see. So we need to understand where our dependence is each and every moment for each and every decision. Each and every decision. We're depending on the bottom line of the checkbook. We're depending on the bottom line of Jesus Christ's land. That is an important thing for us. And we're going to live according to this new spirit. And then third, we need to walk dedicated to the goal. What happens if you go out to run a race and you're not really dedicated and worried about crossing that finish line? I'll tell you how it goes from example. You start out on Monday, you, sit, you run your goal, you're like, good, I'm good. Tuesday, it's raining, you're like, yeah, it's okay, I'll be all right. Wednesday, you start running, but it gets hot real quick, so you're like, you know what, I'll finish this tomorrow. Thursday, it's raining again, eh, I'm not really going to run. Friday, it's my day off. I'm going to go play golf. I'm not running. Do you see what's happening here? What's not getting the attention? Reaching that goal in that place. It's the same in our Christian life. If each day we set out with a new purpose and a new goal in mind, we're not going to be working for that very first priority, which is God. So in Monday, when you get up, even if you've got a busy day, God is your first priority. Tuesday, even if it's raining, God is your first priority. Every day, you do what is necessary to make sure that you are living according to the Spirit, that you are following God, that you are trusting in God and believing in God. And so we are, I'll tell you a fine example. I've gotten into this bad habit of not being able to make up my mind on what I'm going to do next. So like say I'm going to go back there and get some coffee cream for the coffee jams up yes, yes. Um, I'm going to get some coffee cream. And I'll take off walking back there. I'm like, wait, I need to turn the microphone off. I'll stop and I'll turn around. I'm like, I get when you back, so I'll turn around again. Like, I better might as well do it long. And I will sit right here in a five-foot span and turn around 16 different times. We live our lives like that in Christ. We live our lives with Jesus.
Christ just like that because we can't make up our mind what our goal is going to be for that moment, for that time, for that decision. So first and foremost, we must set God always as our priority. Secondly, we must always depend on God to hold us fast, to give us the strength that we need. We must draw consistently from Him. And then third, we must be dedicated to reaching that goal. You can't improve yourself on Monday, chase Jesus on Tuesday, and turn out well on Monday. You just can't do that. You can pursue Christ, but you can pursue something else. So to get anywhere to accomplish anything, we must continue in a singular direction, continuously depending on God, and continually keeping our destination before us. Singular direction. Remember that. Write that on the front of your Bible. Tattoo it on your forehead backwards so you can read it in the mirror. Singular direction. As Christians, we have to have one singular direction. As the church, we have to have one singular direction. That is pursuing Jesus Christ. But the reality of it is we have a lot of things pulling for us, don't we? Anybody here already thinking about their schedule this next week and everything they got to do? Where all they got to be, what all they got to accomplish? Every single one of us just about right. We've got so many things pulling for our attention, pulling for us to give precedence. But in verse 5, Paul tells us something very important. I want to read verse 5 through 8 again. It says, The people who are dominated by their sinful nature think only about sinful things. Or we can say the people who are dominated by their natural selves think only about the things that are temporal, the things that give them immediate payoff. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit, the things of God. He says, so let your sinful nature, uh, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So hear it this way. Thinking about and giving precedence to the things that are only temporal are only going to get a temporary And sometimes it is better for you to do away with those things and chase after the things that are eternal. If we live by the flesh, we will have a fleshly outcome. If we live by the Spirit, then God produces within us the things that we hope happen. The things that we try to work to have happen. So our feet will always follow the goal that we set out for ourselves. Our feet will always follow what we set before us as our, our most important goal. We cannot pursue two things at once. We're either pursuing God and everything in our lives is ordered to that through that. Or we're pursuing something that is not going to lead us to where Jesus Christ has called us to come. So next week when we get back together, we're going to talk about how when we come to Christ through this faith, that God's Spirit takes up residence in us. And if God's Spirit is residing in us, then sin has to go somewhere. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your word. We, we thank you this new life in the spirit that you have called us to. And God, we acknowledge that sometimes we allow our flesh to win the battle. That sometimes we fail to live according to the way that leads to life. And we roll around in the things that you have called us to stay away from. God, we ask that you would help us to keep this word on our hearts this week. To listen for your spirit. To order our lives in such a way to invite it in. God, be with us as we go out. Protect us. Give us the opportunity to share about what you are doing in our lives with somebody who needs to hear this. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.